0: Welcome back to the Crow's Nest. My name is Jackson Shank alongside my co-host Justin Valenzuela where today we are going to talk the Final Four and Coach K's career along with the Eagles Saints trade for two first round picks and a little bit of meeting Alex Rodriguez himself as he visited the Seton Hall campus this past week. Justin, it's an exciting episode. How are you feeling today?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. A little mad because my socks are soaking wet right now. It's like a monsoon out there, so stay safe. But other than that, I'm chilling. No,
0: 100%, man. And you know, I was I was talking to my roommate about this. I my next pair of shoes that I want to own are a pair of Vessies.
1: Do you know what Vessies are? I don't. But knowing you, are those the ones that it's like your feet and it's just around them? No, (laughs) it's not like it's not the toe
0: shoes. They are a Canadian brand, and they're waterproof. Actually, they have a waterproof weave. And I was like, I've wanted these for like you know a good two three months now. They're 140 bucks, so they're like you know they're yeah. But
1: it's moments like these. It's
0: a lot of it's a lot of sneakers, and I'm like, well yeah. And I I walk around the woods a little bit. Oh, you're a hiker. I I do I do I do a little exploring here and there. So it it'd be cool. But anyway, yeah, it's a rainy day. Yeah, it's pretty gloomy out. Gross. That's but the way to describe it. But we got a banger of an episode, dude. Oh, So yeah. much content. So let's get right into it. Let's talk to final four. Justin, we were dead wrong.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll
0: talk a little bit about Coach K, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, that guy. That scrub, Coach K. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was completely wrong on everything. I said, obviously, Duke was going to win and Nova was going to win. Uh, Nova got stomped, so that already looks dumb. But the Duke-UNC rivalry is probably the greatest thing in college basketball. I I still can't believe UNC's full-swept this year, Duke, three wins. But like the fashion of the games, it's so high highly intense. The fans are really into it. It's loud. It's energetic. You see and you, f- you almost feel the emotion through the screen. And to me, that's the true beauty of sports, when you feel the emotion. You're right there with the fans.
0: 100%, Justin. And there's so much history between these two teams, and that's what... That's what makes the matchup so great. But yeah, UNC made it to the made it to the championship game and then I mean, they were they were playing UNC basketball and then KU did you know, in the first half my prediction was spot on. You know, KU is gonna do what they do best and flop in the championship. And the first half, they played horrifically. They had a horrible game plan coming out the gate and it led them down fifteen at half. Yeah. But Give the Jayhawks credit. They make adjustments. They win the game.
1: Yeah. I mean, 15-point comeback. That's that's the largest comeback in all of national championship history. For yeah, the it is. Right? Yeah, that's honestly really impressive. And Jackson and I were actually watching history together. So that was pretty cool. Um, we were sitting inside this Sky Lounge inside of our dorm. But, I mean, shout-out Kansas. That's, four, that's their fourth national championship now. It is. Great adjustment in the second half. And I was looking... It's like, obviously they adjusted, and I think where they really adjusted was their perimeter defense. Uh, if you look at UNC shooting numbers, it plummeted in the second half, especially from three. They were just hucking threes all game, though. They were 3 of 11 in the first half and 2 of 12 in the second half. So, I mean, shame on UNC for not, you know, changing the game plan a little bit and acknowledging that, you know, the three ball isn't falling. Maybe we shouldn't be forcing these types of shots. And give credit to KU for just tightening up their interior defense because they were getting eaten alive down there um, in the first half. And that's where the real adjustment came, was just playing tighter, not letting them get into the lanes. And that was ultimately the deciding factor in the game.
0: Yeah, UNC's center was so dominant in the first half. Armando? Yeah, Armando. And, you know, he succumbed to injury late in the game. And I think that was a big part of why... You know, KU got that final stretch of like four or five points that put them ahead. Yeah. They had a clutch basket. But yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to believe that KU won this game because even with how poorly UNC shot in the second half, to have rebounded the ball so many times on offense, in the first half, literally like five-sixths of their points, were second-chance points. Like, UNC was doing everything that they could to score. KU, I mean, it it boggles my mind that they came out on top in this game because UNC just played so well in the first half. They still had those second-chance points in the second half. They just shot poorly.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, they had 28 second-chance points in the game entirely. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the number.
0: And I mean, a lot of that came in the first half. So I mean, that goes to show, you know, in the first half, shots were falling a little bit more. We we see the the field goal percentage in the first half thirty six point thirty six percent. UNC shot twenty seven percent from three, and then yeah, it, it plummeted, like you yeah. said. I mean, to shoot yeah to shoot only twenty eight percent from the floor, sixteen percent from three. Like, they made the free throws, don't get me wrong. You know, you make 18 of 22 free throws. That's a lot of free points.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were getting bailed out a little bit. But to bring it back a little bit, if Armando Baycat, Baycott doesn't go down on that final possession for them, honestly, they win the game. You think so? Down, think so? I think so. I really do. I think he would have made it. Okay. Just, I, it just sucks that he had to go down like that. That's just a bad way to lose. And then, uh, who's, I, don't, I honestly don't know his name. It's the like barbaric white guy. You know what I'm talking oh. about? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Manic. Yeah, Manic, Manic. So on the final shot, uh, I mean, the play was obviously drawn up for him. And like you can clearly see him fall. And that just sucks that like luck was was on UNC side with the like second chance points and the offensive rebounding. But like at the same time it wasn't, because that was two potential game winning shots that people went down one with injury and one just coincidentally falling so that just sucks to see and as a player's you know that that definitely hurts
0: you know it does but i i still blame a little bit on unc you know oh yeah as a team and yeah. and well actually particularly i want to i want to talk a little bit about Caleb Love yeah you and i were watching the end of this game couldn't believe the ku came back and then really the unthinkable happened you know a team that has been coached so well in unc by their new head coach and oh my gosh Caleb Love dribbles down the court with you know 15 20 seconds left with their you know the the game in their hands and chucks up a 3 with 16 seconds left had so much more time to develop a play an opportunity to close out the game and win a national championship And just fell flat on his face. Tried to be the hero. Shot a, you know, 35-foot-3 like he was on some Steph Curry stuff. And it's like they they got lucky that they got the offensive rebound. And they got another possession. And then they got lucky that KU stepped out of bounds. Like, UNC had so many opportunities to close this game out. Especially beginning in the second half up 15. And they just couldn't do it. So, shout out to KU for, you know, taking advantage of the, of the opportunity that was given to them. But, man, I it's a rough day in Chapel Hill.
1: Yeah, I'm going to bring it back to Caleb Love, too. He shot 5 of 24 from the floor, 1 of 8 from 3, and he shot, like, 12% from the field. It's horrible. That's honestly the biggest sell of the entire year. Like, he was 2 for 2 from the line, though, but, like... That doesn't impact the game as much as shooting five of twenty-four. He had thirteen points, but like, I I feel like he was injured though. I mean, you could tell he was injured, but
0: oh, the the whole rolled ankle thing.
1: Yeah, and it looked like yeah, he looked like his ankle and calf, and Mm -hmm. like he had like a calf brace or you know sleeve. He had something on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, either way, if you're injured in the biggest game of your life and you know your shots aren't falling, stop shooting. A- and yeah. why didn't the coach take him out? I-, I remember I was sitting there and I told you, I was like, they got to take him out. He looks sluggish. His defense is lackluster right now because he can't move. He's not very mobile. And he's looking to shoot even though he shouldn't be. And he played 36 minutes on a bad ankle. Well,
0: that was, that was another thing I saw. You know, of the 1,200 minutes in UNC's title, their starters played thousand like fifty six minutes. Yeah, they had because they were a dude, and and that that brings up another point. You know, in this second half, they were just gassed. Yeah, you know, and when gas players get hurt, you know, like Love and Bacot did, it leads to teams falling apart when they have a fifteen point lead, and that's what happened.
1: Yeah, and I mean, honestly, most of the most of the starters did not shoot well. R.J. Davis was five of seventeen. Armando Baycott was 3 of 13. Caleb Love, obviously, 5 of 24. Brady Manick was 4 of 8, which is solid. Leaky Black, 1 of 2. Puff Johnson, though, off the bench. Made was, it rain! Yeah, he was, he was pretty good. 1 of 3 from 3, which is, you know, whatever. And But 5 of 9 with 11 points as an underclassman who doesn't really play. That was impressive. He showed up and the starters didn't, and that was really...
0: He definitely showed up in the second half, and I think if he hadn't, this could have gotten a lot uglier for UNC. Yeah. This could have been a five to eight point loss rather than a what, it was two or two two three points. Yeah, it was I think it was three.
1: It was three.
0: Yeah, three point loss. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's it's a tough blow if you're UNC. You're such a historic program. You know, KU congrats them. They got the most wins in college basketball of any program, you know, talk about history. And, you know, shout out to the homeland you brought it home. Good for good for the Jayhawks. Yeah. And, you know, we'll the see. The
1: originator it... of basketball, Kansas Jayhawks.
0: Yep. Something like that. That's well, cool. it is pretty cool. Let's talk about a different bird now, Justin. And we're going to switch sports as well. We're going to head to the NFL where a trade went down between the New Orleans Saints and the Philadelphia Eagles. Justin, break it down for me.
1: All right, so the Eagles and Saints engaged in a trade. In this trade, the Saints receive picks number sixteen and nineteen, and basically the Eagles had three first-round picks. So what they get is they keep fifteen, and they get the eighteenth pick from the Saints, and they basically uh, backload one of those first-rounders from this draft to the twenty twenty-three draft. So the Saints gain a first-rounder this year, give up theirs next year, Whoa. and the Eagles. You know, it's it's a it's a pretty even trade to me. I would say there's no real winner or loser in terms of real value. Um, The Eagles also get a third this year, which is pretty cool. Um, But what's big about this one is insider sources close to the Saints, uh, they say the Saints believe they're close, and they can contend with Jameis Winston. They're just one or two quality starters away from contending. Now, the thing with the Saints is they're in cap hell still. They have no money. So it's nice to get one to two proven starters on rookie deals. That's the big, that's the big uh, thing with this. And I think the, the Saints are interested in getting starters for cheap, and the Eagles, I think, are interested in a 2023 quarterback. I don't think they're entirely sold on Jalen Hurts, and that's why they're kind of backing themselves up a little bit, maybe checking their bases or boxes, you could say, uh, for a quarterback next year just in case Jalen Hurts flops. You think so? I think so.
0: Because I think this is more of a move to give Jalen Hurts another year. To prove himself
1: yeah yeah they're pr- he, this year is a it year for him and then next year 2023 draft
0: I guess because you're gonna add like there's deep. no way they don't go receiver right in the first round
1: I don't know because they they have Devontae Smith which is like yeah Jalen Rager whoo Jalen Rager is pretty good uh yeah is, i don't is he though no Yeah, sucks. exactly yeah no, i know they need dallas receiver. goddard like yeah dallas goddard's nice they
0: and they can run the ball they've established themselves as a run first offense
1: yeah which is why they might not look at receiver then. no they they need a receiver because they need
0: jalen hurts to be a playmaker and if they're gonna you know draft a quarterback next year which good luck in a class that's absolutely stacked you yeah, know, and it's that's it's, exactly it's, my it's, point. It's, it's a stacked, deep, it's stacked. I don't know if it's deep though. It's stacked but it's thin. I yeah. think it's thin. Yeah. Good luck trying to get a you know, trying to get a QB when I'm sure the Lions are going to want one, the Giants are going to be looking at one, the Falcons are going to be looking at one. Yeah. So all of these things aside, you know, I that brings me back. I think that, you know, I believe the Eagles think that Jalen Hurts is the guy. They just need more weapons around him. And giving him another weapon in a year that is a prove-me year gives him a chance to play for a second contract, which I think is exactly what's going on. You alleviate the pressure off your quarterback. You say, hey, we're going to go get you a top guy, but we're also going to plan for our future, okay? Which, you know, can be taken both ways, can be taken as, oh, Mm -hmm. wow, well, now you're planning for a future without me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't get to say that because you haven't proved yourself. So... You know, I don't think the Saints are two, you know, pieces away. The yeah, NFC is exactly wide open, but, like, I think this is a great move by the Eagles because you don't need to go super wide receiver in this draft. You can get one guy out of a very talented class and then move on and play for next year. I like the move by the Eagles. Plus, you didn't mention this, but they get a second rounder next year as well. Really? Yes. They got a, they get 18 yep, this year. A 2024. A third, oh, it's a 2024. third and a seventh. Oh, in a twenty twenty four second. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I like the trade for both sides. And, you know, that was a very good point that you brought up, to be honest. But I don't really think the Saints are one or two quality starters away from contending either. So I think in the sense that if they don't view Jalen Hurts as their guy, they might be able to bank on the fact that maybe the Saints kind of flop next year. But also, like, if if Jalen Hurts is your guy, you now have a plethora of of youth talent on your team. You have two firsts this year, two first next year. Um, You have Devonta Smith on a rookie contract. Yeah, Devonta Smith on a rookie contract. They're really, I mean, what this probably shows to me is that they just don't value this draft class as highly as they value the 2023, and that they're willing to invest uh, another year of maybe not having one of those rookie guys just to get a rookie from that class. Just because they weren't that high on the guys that might be there for them now.
0: So let's add another thing onto this, okay? They made the wild card last year, with Dallas, you know, sending Amari Cooper into the wind and ending up in Cleveland. Do you think they can? Do you think they still have the attitude? Hey, you know, if we have Hurts, oh, yeah. and we get an, and we get a good wide receiver in this draft, we can win the division. Hundred.
1: I honestly, I I think the NFC East is wide open. Yeah. I would not be surprised to see the Cowboys win it because it's the Cowboys. I would not be surprised to see the Eagles win it because they are a young team that's ascending. But I I think the Commanders could win it too. I really do. I really think they're a great team that's just a competent quarterback away. They made the playoffs with Taylor freaking Heineke. Like, anything is really possible.
0: And they were close to beating Brady with exactly. Taylor
1: Heineke. And Carson Wentz, like, you can speak poorly on him as much as you want he won games with the colts. It's not like the colts barely missed the I pl- uh, like handedly missed the playoffs. They barely missed the playoffs and I still think that not all of it is on Carson Wentz. So I think that in a more low-key environment like Washington with arguably a more talented defense and definitely better playmakers. Jonathan Taylor is a dog, but Terry McLaurin is head and shoulders above any other receiver on the colts. I don't know if I'd say head and shoulders, but probably he's definitely can compare to Terry McLaurin.
0: I I definitely think he's a step up.
1: I think Terry McLaurin is a top five receiver in the NFL. Wow! I I think Terry McLaurin is a dog. You think really? Yes. Come on, let's Terry McLaurin is very good. He's just on, dude. Who's throwing him the football? That's the only reason you don't hear about him. I guess. Well, I mean, I think in terms of pure talent. Terry McLaurin is top five. Wow, dude, you're talking
0: with the likes of Devontae Adams, yeah. Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, like, yeah, are you sure? I'm willing to I'll... put him up there
1: with them. I think they're all interchangeable, but I think I'm willing to wow. put them. Oh, dude,
0: I'm. I
1: think you're crazy.
0: I'm gonna go top ten at the highest. I'd probably put them. What like eight nine? I'd rather have Waddle. Than him. What? Yeah, I'd rather have Jalen Waddle. No,
1: you're crazy. Dude. I think Terry McLaurin's a dog. He just, dude, Taylor Heineke's throwing him the ball. You know, like. I guess. I think if you put Terry McLaurin on like. hmm, who, Who's a good team to put him on right now? The Packers right now. Okay. Imagine what he does. No, fair enough. Or, okay. or, or that's, I mean, that's Aaron Rodgers throwing him ball. No, I
0: guess that's true. But like, I mean. Man. Now that like that like opens my eyes because you could say that about like DJ Moore too.
1: Yeah, like there's tons of great talented receivers who just have bad quarterbacks. Yeah, we're like, probably
0: gonna end up seeing it
1: as a good example with a Rob this year in the Rams. Yeah, he's gonna okay. take off because like when he was on the Jaguars, I mean, he still had multiple thousand yard receiving seasons with horrible quarterback play. Yeah, I'm not gonna put him top
0: five, but okay. But anyway, trade for both the Eagles and the Saints were solid. Um, it's a good move to invest in the future by the Eagles while still maintaining draft capital this year. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Saints need to fix things as quick as possible. So Actually, I, I do.
1: I, I kind of want to bring it back really quickly. To okay. The Eagles. All right. Eagles, so go for it. I like, I like what the Eagles are doing. I really do. And I like the whole, like builds through the draft, acquire as many draft picks as possible because I've seen it with my jets. But the thing with Howie Roseman is he's clearly a genius when it comes to finessing trades. He can't draft, though. So, like, what, like, you have to question how much this is going to impact the Eagles because having all of these these picks is amazing, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't hit on them.
0: Yeah, because the last time they went through a wide receiver stacked class,
1: they chose Jalen Rager. Yeah, and they picked J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over, like, D.K. Metcalf. Yeah. And Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown. Like, they cannot draft very well at all. So I think this next draft, they have to hit. They have to because all of this will be for nothing if they don't.
0: Yeah, he's going to get. He's gonna have to go one for three. At least. Okay. Which is
1: easier said than done.
0: Yeah. There's so many solid receivers in this draft. So we will have to see. I don't know. I don't think the Saints will go receiver.
1: They have bigger I fish think to fry. Saints, I mean, they lost Terran Armstead, so they're going tackle yeah. for sure. One of those picks will 100% be a tackle. I'm willing to bet everything I own on that it'll be a tackle. And I heard they view Matt Corral. As kind of a mid tier right, quarterback that they might they might be yeah. interested in him. But also like what what's the what's a real need for the Saints? Let's think. Do they need another corner opposite of Marshawn Lattimore?
0: Uh you know, I think one corner solid enough.
1: Yeah, you just need like a little no, you need like a good corner and then like an average one. They yeah, have to, basically yeah, they have Demario Davis at linebacker. They have Cameron Jordan at, Cam edge. Jordan at edge. yeah. Maybe defensive tackle. Ooh, Jordan Davis. Maybe Jordan Davis. If he falls. He'll be there. I don't think he's going top twelve. Saints have sixteen. Sixteen. And nineteen. And nineteen. He could be there. A team I really want to be. see Jordan Davis go to is the Chargers. Right. There were seventeen. Okay. All right. We we will have to see. Yeah. I you mean know. draft the draft is almost upon us. And it's almost that time of year. You know,
0: let's let's roll into that actually, because Justin and I we can be a little goofy sometimes because, you know, us talking about this wonderful trip to the Bronx we're about to have. Yeah. And we go to look up the tickets, like we told you guys in the past episode, and, you know, Jackson Shank thinking the Kansas City Royals would debut their City Connect jerseys in the opposing team city. Like, Jackson, what are you doing? So they're actually playing in Kansas City. So that opened up the April 28th weekend, and instead... You know, we will we will watch the game on April 30th. 100%. But instead, Justin, let him know what we're going to be doing because you were in, nice enough to invite me to this.
1: So, yeah, the Jets opened up their draft party at MetLife Stadium for the first time since, you know, COVID kind of destroyed the world. So for the first time in a couple of years, uh, the Jets are having a draft party. And what it is is you just go. There's like they open like the whole stadium. And it's cut half and half, half half of the side is for the Jets, half of the side is for the Giants fans, and you get to walk around inside the stadium, you walk around the suites, they got the draft up on the TVs, they have the draft up on the Jumbotron, and you know, you could sit in the seats, eat some food, that's like $30, uh, depending who you are, if you're of age of course, you know, get some beer, all of that, and just have a good time, it's fun, You maybe tailgate, It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, It was pretty cool, too. Uh, The last one I went to was the 2018 draft. Giants have the second pick. Jets have the third pick. Baker Mayfield gets drafted to everyone's surprise at first overall in the whole stadium. goes like, what? Like, they were in shock. You heard it through both sides. The Giants fans didn't expect it. Us Jets fans didn't expect it. And then we were worried that the Giants might take a quarterback, too. So when they took Barkley, we were cheering and they were cheering and then we took then Darn- that meant Darnold fell to us, which at the time, like everyone likes to make fun of the Jets. Uh, sucks, But at the time he was considered the number one quarterback in the draft. So he falls to us and we're like, yeah, we're so excited. Uh, people are throwing things. One guy, this one guy next to me stands up and he's screaming, super Sam, super Sam. And he was super happy. It was just it's a it's a fun thing, you know. You see the real excitement in the fans.
0: No, I I'm totally stoked for it. I'm yeah, glad I'm you excited. you're gonna give me the opportunity to come along because I've never firsthand experienced, you know, bunch of fans reacting to a draft. It's just one of those things where I, you know, when my pick comes on, I turn the TV on and I'm like, oh, okay, that's who we took. Uh,
1: no, I love. I'm always invested. I watch well, it from beginning to end.
0: Exactly. I mean, so I mean, this is this will bring me more into the understanding of the draft. Whether or not we'll see any live trades, okay, which would be super exciting. Really. Which there's already talks that the Seahawks might be trading with the Chiefs. Like there's insider mm-hmm. sources talking about that. So whole different thing. But yes, we April twenty
1: eighth. We gonna are going go to go no to MetLife more, Stadium because I've, I've never yeah, been. Yeah, and too. the thing the thing that's really exciting about this draft is. No one knows, like, anything right now. Like, usually by this time, you're like, all right, this guy's the first pick, this guy's the second pick, and this guy's the third pick. There's no interchanging. This is what it's going to be. And then four through 10 is, like, kind of surprising, but also not really. And then it really isn't until, like, the late teens to 20s that the draft really opens up and it's like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Oh, he's still on the board. I can't believe he fell. But, like, there's legitimately four different guys that I think could go first overall. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, maybe even five, Ike McWanu, and Evan Neal. And no one knows, like, they're leaning towards edge right now, but, like, who's to say that's legit, you yeah, know? And true. even if they are leaning edge, there's three options for them to take. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's very interesting. I'm very excited to see how this pans out. Me too, Justin. You know, going to MetLife for the first time in my life ought to be interesting. Yeah, it's a it's it's an okay stadium. Let's I'm sure it doesn't compare to the Chiefs stadium. N- Arrowhead is crazy. Arrow Arrowheads Arrowheads. It's boring. A whole you know what? Arrowhead, atmosphere. you have all the red, yellow. Like you have team colors, right? All yes. over the stadium. Yeah, no, we're, we're gray. We have
0: Chiefs Kingdom. Yeah, ours is gray.
1: Anyway, the whole stadium's gray. Let's Let's
0: talk about one of One of your good pals came to Oh yeah. Seton Hall last Wednesday, and I actually got to have a thirty minute little sit down session with him, Alex Rodriguez. One of the goats. You know, it was it was incredible. Yeah, Justin, the, to just sit down, see him there. Yeah, that's um, and yeah, that's he just cool. um he came in, he talked with Bob Lee, who's another huge guy. He's a Seton Hall grad, and you know his A Rod's agent actually put this whole thing together, or someone who works with him in Fox, and he's a Seton Hall grad himself. So this whole thing, you know, was a part of the the next speaker in the series for the center of sports media at Seton Hall. And it was Yankees legend, Alex Rodriguez. So
1: like, wow, that was awesome. I, I mean, I definitely didn't have a interact. I had an interaction with a rod. I didn't have like a sit down with him, but so for those of you that don't know, I'm a work study for the school of communications, Dean's office. So I was working for the event and I was at Bethany Hall, uh, in my job. I had like a nice cool little, uh, like name tag, it was cool. I liked it. It was cool. I felt professional. You got your creds. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was professional. Credentials. Yeah, yeah I felt professional. And uh, my my job was to just guide people to their seats. If they were reserved or VIP, I you know pointed them or walked them to it or whatever. And then like towards the end, once like it was kind of filling up, I was just like, oh, I'll go take a seat anywhere. And then there, uh, BJ Schefter is you know ad- addressing the audience, introducing uh, the two main speakers. Who was Bob Lee. And I forget the other guy, unfortunately, but he's also a Seton Hall grad. Really cool guy. I think it was Bardia. Yeah, it was Bardia. And the door opens. And I look. And two feet away from me is standing Alex Rodriguez. And he looks at me. And I look at him. And then he points back out to the hallway and I just nod my head. And I'm like starstruck. I'm just nodding my head like, yeah, 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 yeah. Too early, too early, bro. And he just walks back out. And that was that. And then like three minutes later, he walks back in, looks at me, I look at him, and then there's like a pillar, like this little like thing, and he's just, I put it on my story, he's just leaned up against the pillar hiding from the audience right now, looking at the, uh, they played a video for him, and this is like after everyone is introduced, right before he's about to get introduced, and he's just hiding behind this pillar, just gazing up, and I'm just staring at the back of his head, I'm just like, damn, that's really Alex Rodriguez right there, he is right there, right in front of me, in the same room as me, and I just thought that was so cool. And he's he was a pretty f- cool, funny guy. He kinda he told a pretty funny story. Kinda kinda dissed the Astros. That's how I saw it at least. Uh were you at the event? I was not. I had class because I was there reviewing for a stats test, which I'd feel like I absolutely ace, so Hell it was yeah. worth it. So uh who was it? Bob Lee had mentioned he was like, Oh, like uh recently Brian Cashman kinda trashed the Astros, saying like we had a window for the World Series, and you know we would have won it if it wasn't for uh, the Astros cheating. And then he asked, he was like, "How much does knowing what pitch comes affect you as a hitter?" And he said, "It makes good hitters great, and it makes great hitters amazing. you know And then he told a story about this one pitcher he, the there was a ball boy for the Yankees in, like, 2009, the year they won the World Series, or 2008, one of those. I forget. No, I I know it was 2009 that we won the World Series, but I don't remember which year he mentioned. So I'm just going to say 2009 for argument's sake, but I don't actually know if it was that year. And he was telling a story about a ball boy who knew everything, everything about everyone. He was huge into, like, analytics was picking up, and he was just huge into, like, everything. So there was this new pitcher that gets called up, and A-Rod knows nothing about him. And it's like his first week in the bigs, and he's pitching against Arod. And he comes up, and he's like, yo, I forget what he said his name was. I think it was John. He's like, yo, John, tell me about this guy. And he throws throws slider, fastball, and curve. But get this. He hurt his forearm golfing. So it's going to affect his fastball or something like that.
0: What? Yeah. That's so insane. His
1: first two pitches come. It's like a 0-2 a count or something like that. And it's slider-slider or something like that. Yeah. And then he looks at John. And John gives him a nod. And I guess through like the analytics was saying that like he's definitely throwing fastball. And he's like, so what do you know? Fastball, 3-1 home run left field. Wow. Yeah, so he said, like, and that little bit right there just shows you knowing what's coming changes everything. I mean, he had a 3-run bomb. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the difference in everything. So, th- for the fact that the Astros, every single home game, knew every – not every – was it every pitch probably something like it that's yeah most of the pitches that are coming and i mean that explains the and then there was like a stat that came out i wish i had it with me it was comparing their away batting averages no yeah and their home their and it home. was like
0: night and day it was 400 to 100 yeah like what like
1: that.
0: that's which, crazy which a lot of people can say like you know home field advantage but yeah yeah time, but that's like, like that's inflated to that's a, a different serious point. extreme like
1: how often like you'd be lucky to hit 300 no yeah exactly
0: but yeah, that that reminds me of a lot of Arroyo's Chapman throws a three-two or two-two slider. Yeah, that hangs top of the zone. Mm-hmm. Altuve sits on it, hits a three-run bomb. Sends oh, the yeah, Astro to the World Series.
1: Yep, that's that. I mean, that story
0: it reminds me a lot of it.
1: Yeah, and you know what's uh, even funnier? That reminds me when Chapman threw that pitch, and he got rocked. He was just sitting on the mound spo- uh, smiling, and all the fans. This was before that it came out that the Astros were like cheating and stuff. And all the fans are like, why is he smiling? Like, we just, our season's over. Yeah. And I mean, in retrospect, maybe he was smiling because he's like, there's no way. He didn't just know that I was there. maybe. We'll never know. Yeah. But
0: I myself got the opportunity to sit in a room with A-Rod. The Pirate Sports Network crew and the athletics department really got this thing together. I thought it was awesome. And we had thirty minutes. Basically, it was me and about twelve to fifteen other kids, who were various ages, all part of PSN. And we just sat there, asked him questions. Yeah. And it was it was amazing just to sit there and pick, Arod's brain because you're sitting there like, dude, is this guy real? Yeah, for you're, real. You're like, just like, wow. Were you, know, you some- starstruck at all? You know. I'm not, like, a huge A-Rod fan. I'm not a huge Yankees fan. But at the same time, like, it's it's Alex freaking Rodriguez. He like is a Hall of Famer. Well, he Soon should be. be.
1: Soon to be. He will be, eventually.
0: But, you know, to sit there and he's looking at us like, yeah, you know, I'm top dog and it's because I do X, Y, Z and it's because, you know... I'm in the trenches doing my paperwork. I'm making sure I'm way ahead planning meetings, stuff like that. And when I come into meetings, I've done my homework. I can throw my notes aside and tell you face-to-face like, hey, I know just about everything about you before we even started this meeting, and I'm going to use that to sell you on this. Because, I mean, the guy was talking, you know, value within companies between buying an NBA team because he was looking at buying the Mets. Yeah, that's right. And oh, yeah, he told a bunch he of stories about that. He ended up choosing to buy the Timberwolves because it was better value for the amount of money that he was putting in. Mm-hmm. So he's now part owner of the, I think he, own, he co-owns the yeah. Minnesota Timberwolves. He's
1: set, so he's like he's like a very mi- minority owner right now. Yeah. And he's set to take over like, not majority majority, but like a big a, a big good chunk. chunk of yeah. the Timberwolves, yeah.
0: So, I mean, to, just to sit there, pick his brain, talk about... One of the softball players, Sidney uh asked him a question about transitioning from the sports world into uh, media. And it was just incredible. You know, he's like, it's like, yeah, you know, I was back at square one. It's back like being in the minor leagues and, you know, working my way up the the pillars. But he, but he said, you know, hey, best way for you to do anything. You know, nothing against Seton Hall, but they are not going to have the experience... That I have you know you you as students can watch any amount of games that I play you can go back and watch every single one of them but you don't know exactly what I'm going to do until you step in the box with me and take live at bats so it was it was just it was just amazing yeah to hear him talk like that and truly eye-opening because it opened my eye to a lot of opportunities that I have back in Kansas City and a lot of connections that I can try and make over the summer it's definitely inspirational where you know where this podcast can go to
1: yeah definitely
0: so yeah that will do it for episode 11 of the crow's nest this has been such a solid episode covered a lot of ground banger and there'll be many more to come so thank you all for tuning in once again and we will see you all next time
1: peace